0: We're back for another Fadeaway with Dion Thomas and Eric Schmidt. Dion is one of the all-time great basketball players to be listed in the Fighting Illini archives. I, of course, am nowhere to be found in those lists, and we are joined today by someone known to three fan bases, New Mexico State as a star player, the all-time leader in wins at the University of Illinois at Chicago, and, of course, to Illini fans and possibly the best recruiter in school history. They say that players make the coach, though. Coach, what made you so successful? in finding great players out of Chicago, in particular guys like Dion here?
1: Well, what they say is players make the coach. Well, that's absolutely true. Uh, it's, you know, Secretariat, that, that jockey would have never won a race uh, <laughs> if he wasn't riding Secretariat. So uh, what I tried to do uh, when I was recruiting the Chicagoland area, I I started off in the Chicagoland area with basketball as believe it or not, a probation officer. Uh, I worked at 26 in California for a number of years in the probation department. And in working there, I went out, I started some neighborhood uh, basketball games or programs. And uh, so I knew a lot of people. I knew a lot of people coming in and out of the probation department who knew a lot of people mm-hmm. uh, who was playing. Uh, you mentioned Dion Thomas, uh, I found him in in the village or i actually found him playing basketball at Potawatomi park but he lived in the village and a lot of people was not going to venture off into the village to recruit anybody if you got into the village back in those days uh and these days as well uh you took a wrong turn somewhere you weren't just not going (laughs) in there you know but i used to do that i used to go in there and uh i'd watch guys play in the park uh And and Dion was one of the guys that later on I saw playing uh, at Potawatomi Park up on the north side, and I found out that he lived in the village, and so I had an opportunity to watch him play some pickups and go to his practices. But what I did was I tried to sell the players on me first, on me to the degree that if you chose Illinois, uh, you were going to be my pal as well as you were going to be an understudy. Uh, I was going to try to teach you all the things that I did uh, to be successful playing basketball, and I would try to also teach you some of the things you were going to need to venture off into manhood, not just basketball, but what it was going to take for you to be a man and, of course, to be a successful man. And so those are the things that helped me get in with a lot of the parents and a lot of the players Uh, who come out of the Chicagoland area every year, really. There are great players come out of this area every year. They don't all get picked up. Uh, Some don't even go to college, but there's still great players in high school that come out of this area. So I try to sell them on the fact that I know what it's going to take. I am a friend first, and once I become a friend and they can trust you, uh, then you can sell them on the university. university is usually the last thing you try to sell them on because... Uh, most of us as recruiters are also salesmen, and so we're also trying to, we know how to sell. Uh, But getting them to believe in you and trust in you is the first thing that I always did. And on down the list, one of the first kids that I had recruited was actually not from Chicago. Uh, He was from Detroit, which named Glenn Blackwell. He was the first person that I actually went out to get and there was another guy in the Detroit area named Gary Tompkins who went to Iowa State and uh, I had gone into the Detroit land and I thought I had st- I was going to sign both of them Gary told me he was coming uh, to Illinois and he was he was quite a player but he ended up going to Iowa State and I can't remember the former coach from Michigan who went to Iowa State but he uh he went to Iowa State and played over there. I feel like I got the best of the deal because I sold uh, Glenn Blackwell's mom and his dad. His dad was a real cowboy. you know. He, <laughs> he was a real cowboy. And when I went into the Detroit area, uh, he asked me if I wanted to go out and have a cocktail with him, and I went out, and he was pleasantly surprised that I would even venture off mm-hmm. with him into some of the places where most coaches wouldn't have went. So needless to say, we signed Glenn Blackwell. And I used that same program uh, and the same concept in the Chicagoland area. I, I figured if you sold mothers on the fact that you would look out for their kids once they got away from home uh, and the mothers would be more trusting of you, uh, in Deion Thomas's case, his grandmother, uh, they would be more trusting of you than they would let the kids or their young men come and play for the university, and you would spend a watchful eye on them, which, which I was able to do. So by word of mouth, it it, it, it travels faster than the drum beats against uh, instant programming, against texting. and that, The word of mouth on the street helps you a lot more in recruiting than anything else you can do. And if parents think you're gonna be good to their kids, then they're more trusting of you taking their kids to the University of Illinois. So that helped me a lot. Uh, uh, Being at the probation department, knowing how to deal with the people of Chicago, actually people period, I say Chicago, but uh, knowing how to deal with people and getting the trust that is necessary for any, myself included, for anybody to trust their young men uh, away from home with you, Uh, was really the key with me being successful in the Chicagoland area.
2: You you mentioned uh, a word over and over again, Coach, and and as you know, I trust you, and and I've trusted you from the time I was 15, 16 years old uh, until today. Trust comes in a lot of different forms, and and we have a lot of young people that listen today, and we talk about recruiting today. And these kids today are a lot different than we were when I was a kid. I, I trusted the coach. Nowadays, the kids trust where you come from Mm -hmm. first because they want to know what your pedigree is. So let's let's talk a little bit about your pedigree, because as I was joking with you earlier today, Coach Henson said I was better. (laughs)
0: Well, coach <laughs> well, 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 well We went there all right at the start. Were, we yeah, there. You know, right, I gotta look. get
2: it out early. I'm from the we, village. We, Come yeah, on. but he didn't
0: finish the sentence.
1: <laughs> he said you were a better power forward. Oh, that's what it was. He should have <laughs> finished that sentence, you know. Because as you were the leading scorer at Illinois and still is, I was the leading scorer at New Mexico State. So uh but one thing one thing about uh you, Dion, you were you were probably more prone to listen and take coaching than I was at that time. And like I said, times change, people change, situations change. Uh, I was, uh, I was, I was a kid that that took a Greyhound bus from New York, Syracuse, New York, uh, to Las Cruces, New Mexico, uh, and it was so far away. In my mother's Mind that she felt like I had to go to the clinic to take shots, to get shots to go down there. You know, what I mean, New Mexico—that was a long way away. Uh, but it all worked out for me as a player, uh, and and really under Coach Henson, it taught me a lot about being a responsible man too, because uh, the 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 lessons you learn in taking coaching. Is the lessons you pass on to your kids? Is the lessons you pass on to your recruiters, mm-hmm. to your recruits? Uh, so I learned a lot from uh, going that far away from home. Now you, on the other hand, uh, you—it was a different era, but you were very much the same kid. Uh, you come from the, the village, mm-hmm. uh, Lower West Side or nearer West Side, and I came from the Projects of Syracuse, New York. So our upbringing was basically the same. Your father wasn't in the home, but you had a grandmother who would slap your nose off if you did something <laughs> wrong, and, uh, and you didn't. And you learned that lesson, and I had a mother who would also slap my nose off if I was doing something wrong. So they all taught me the right way, in learning how to do things the right way in your home, that carries over to doing the right things in the game of basketball. And uh, you were you, you taught those lessons. You were taught those lessons. And you learned them well. I was taught those lessons, and I learned them well. But I will tell you this. You didn't have a jump shot like me, D. M. Thomas. <laughs> <laughs> you did not have a jump shot, and you couldn't go to the cup as hard as I could. I, I,
2: I would agree. Yeah. I would agree, Coach. And, and that was one of the great things, you know, being able to sit back and, and talk with Coach Henson and, and knowing he – um, well, I shouldn't say he recruited you, but you played for him, and then I played for him, there's a lot of the similarities that we both saw and a lot of the same things mm-hmm. that we picked up from him. But your journey, as you mentioned, while we had a lot of similarities, we definitely had a lot of differences because you came up playing at a different time. Yes. I mean, there was a lot of social things and a whole lot of other things that were going on um, at, at that time, and, and they had to make you stronger.
1: Well, we we traveled uh, as individuals my, in, in my era. We traveled as individuals. You traveled in your era most as teams mm-hmm. with your coaches. You went all overseas and everywhere. Uh, I went. Uh, I went down to the Rucker Tournament in, in in New York City, and then I went to the Baker League in uh, Philadelphia. But when I went and played in those leagues, I, w- I was an individual player. I was lucky to be able to get picked on a team uh, to play because there was so much talent uh, in those, in those uh, summer leagues. You, on the other hand, you were with a team, you were with a powerful team at Simeon High School. So you learned a little bit more about the team concept and playing with the guys that you played with all the time than I did, mine was a little bit different. The results was the same though, mm-hmm. the results was the same. You were successful in uh, in your game and in your travels and I was pretty successful in mine. So uh, even though we came playing with different guys at different times, we were still playing hard basketball. Yes. We were playing hard-nosed basketball and that's what gets you over the hump, that's what got you over the hump and that's what got me over the hump.
0: Hey. I was going to say you—you uh, you didn't even have a scholarship in hand when you went to New Mexico State. What what compelled you to get on that <laughs> bus and go for four hours to somewhere you had never been to before? Well, uh,
1: it wasn't stupidity. It was nerves. <laughs> <laughs> it was, uh, because I I had a choice. I I could have gone to St. John's, and and uh, shortly before that offer was rendered, St. John's had got into some trouble with, uh, with uh, the NCAA and, and, and uh, fixing games. That was hotly in the news when I was coming up, that St. John's was a, was a school that fixed games and did things of that nature, but it was still a good school. Don't take nothing from that. It was still a good school. And so uh, Syracuse didn't know if I could be a guard. They didn't know because in high school I played forward and center. Not uh, as well as Dion, as we established. Yeah. Nearly as well. <laughs> not nearly as well. Not nearly as well. Well, maybe as well in high school. <laughs> well, I don't know, Coach. But, uh, 27,
2: 27, 14, and 8? At least that's what somebody told me. I, I don't know. By in high average. school? Yes. Well... I wouldn't doubt that somebody. I know you did. I know
1: you did all the well. But see, on the other hand, uh, when I first saw you, you had braces and things on your legs, <laughs> you know, and nobody was really recruiting you then. You no, know?
2: nobody. But no. that shows
1: your eye, though. Yeah. So, uh, but uh, the change was uh, uh, St. John's had just got out of out of uh, had a problem. And then our Syracuse didn't think that I could really play guard, even though they came to some of my games. Uh, then the game wasn't called, or the players weren't called by names: point guard, two guard, small forward, large forward, center. You just you were a basketball player, and if you were a guard, you were a guard. Mm-hmm. If you were forward, you were forward. Uh, so when I came out, I, Syracuse thought that uh, maybe I couldn't play the guard position. Um, but they didn't come to the parks and to the recreational centers to watch me play. They only saw me play during the school year. Uh, so they didn't know. So they were telling me that I had to go to a junior college and, co- and prove that I could play guard and come back. But I had grades, and so I didn't have to go to a junior college because I qualified to go mm-hmm to a Division I school. So I said, well, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna go to Syracuse. Plus, to be real honest, Syracuse, I had some friends coming out of the Brick City. Brick City was the projects that I was raised in in, in Syracuse. I had some friends that were really good friends that I knew I had to get away from. I mean yeah. I knew or they would have they would have pulled me down the same paths that they were they were taking. So um, so Syracuse was X'd off. And then uh, my brother, at that time, was based at uh, I think it was Truax Air Force Base in Madison, Wisconsin. I think that was the name of it. Anyway, um, Wisconsin. I went down to Wisconsin for a visit, and when I got down there, um, I was, you know, I was I was playing ball in the gym with some of the Wisconsin players, and I was I was kind of schooling them, you know. And so I said, well, Wisconsin would be a pretty nice fit for me, but. Wisconsin, at that time, was a very liberal school, and uh, when I went down there and I walked around campus, I noticed that uh, there, were, there, were, there were guys walking around campus indulging in uh, uh, marijuana smoking, mm-hmm. and at that time, marijuana, to me, was a hard drug. And I'd say, I'm not going anywhere where they do. It. It's not like that now. I want to make that perfectly clear, mm-hmm. as Mr. Trump would say. <laughs> I want to make that perfectly clear. <laughs> but uh, it, it seemed like it was just too, too liberal for me. Mm-hmm. And, and, and instead of going there, I had a friend, uh, well, actually, it was an assistant coach of uh, Coach Henson's who came to see me play in Syracuse. And uh, he told me I would get a scholarship In New Mexico and uh, of course he had this magazine or this book uh, with with pictures of all of the people from New Mexico Uh, and they had some beautiful ladies down there and I was you know you mentioned before we were a lot of light yeah we were Uh, (laughs) (laughs) so uh, I said hey that's the place for me Uh, and so I ended up going down to New Mexico and playing down there, I had never met Coach Henson. I had never met him before going down there. Uh, took a long bus ride to get there, but once I got there and I met him, uh, I thought, you know, I might want to get back on this bus and go back to New York. <laughs> because at that time, and you all know that civil rights and, and a lot of things were going on, and when I got off the bus and I met Coach Henson, the first thing I really paid attention to was his accent. Mm-hmm. I got off the bus, and, and he said, Jim? And I said, "Uh uh-oh. And at that time, you guys won't remember, but there was a guy called Barry Goldwater who was running for president at that time, and he had a lot of derogatory things to say about Hispanics and about blacks. So I said, I'm definitely at the wrong place. Well, it ended up being the perfect place for me. But uh, that's what convinced me to go that far away from home. And uh, like I said, it was one of the best decisions that I ever made was going down there.
2: Yeah. You mentioned earlier when we were talking um, off mic and you mentioned how that was the perfect place for you. you. You just repeated it. Now you mentioned some of the things that you and your team did during that time coming from, you know, the previous year that where they were four and 22 and how the, the team progressed. Talk a little bit about if you won't mind, coach, about your growth once you got there, the team's growth, and and even Coach Henson's growth. I mean, because we all see these things, and like you said earlier, it takes a team and and how that team formed and formed with Coach to to do the things that you guys did. Well, you're actually right. It does take a
1: team, but more important than that, it takes a leader. And uh, I didn't know how much of a leader he was at that time. Uh, but he was very much a leader because not only was, was he getting basketball players to unite as a unit and play together, live together, uh, he was also teaching us how to be responsible and how to be men. Uh, I thought that being four and 24 or 22, uh, there would be an opportunity for me to play Mm-hmm. Not knowing, I had played at various places, but not knowing uh, how I would fit in. But he brought a whole bunch of guys in at once. See, then, Dion, you could have 20-some guys on scholarship because you had two teams. You had a freshman team and you had the varsity. Right. Freshmen couldn't play varsity at that time. Uh, but we had a freshman team that consisted of actually later on three guys going to the NBA. Uh, but we didn't know that obviously at that time. We knew Sam was going to go. Mm-hmm. We knew Sam Lacy was going to go because at 6'10", you, you would have to take him off the court before you could make a layup because he's blocking everything that came in there. And then you throw him the ball on offense, and he was making everything that went in there. So uh, we knew we were going to have a good team. We knew that another reason why was we were beating the varsity every day in practice. The varsity team – Uh, and I would mentioned they were 4-22 and before before I got there, before we got there, but our freshman squad was beating them handedly every day. We were beating them every day, so we knew we had something special going. But on top of that, uh, Coach Henson kept molding and kept molding, and he never did anything to make you think you were special, but he did do some things to make you think you were special, Mm -hmm. and he had his way of of portraying that to us as players. So uh, it worked out for me from that aspect because uh, I learned how to live with different people from different walks of life and uh, uh, different areas of the country. And, uh, and I learned how to take commands and orders from somebody who really knew what they were talking about. Uh, as you know, when you met Coach Henson, he wasn't the same guy. When I met him, he was a warrior. We'd come into the gym. We didn't have any weightlifting programs or anything like that. We'd come into the gym, and we did calisthenics, and he'd do them with us. Really? You know, we'd be doing push-ups and things, and he'd jump out there, and he'd start doing those push-ups and running. And well, he didn't run as much, but he started doing things that he asked us to do, jumping jacks, push-ups, sit-ups, run the bleachers. Uh, and just from that, we understood that this is the kind of man that uh, we're going to follow because – He ain't asking us to do nothing that he wouldn't do. And so uh, it helped to mold all of us into uh, better men and obviously better players. Uh, We started off my sophomore year. Well, my freshman year, there were two teams that were ranked high. It was New Mexico State and UCLA. Mm -hmm. And they were our nemesis from that point on. Because we played them every year we'd go to the playoffs, we'd end up meeting UCLA. Uh, our first year we went to the Sweet 16. Uh, we played UCLA and they knocked us out. The second year we, we, we got all the way almost to the Elite, well, to the Elite Eight, we played UCLA. They knocked us out. And then my senior year, we met UCLA in College Park. Maryland for the Final Four. So UCLA was, when you say nemesis, when you say a a bug on your back, UCLA was always that. They were always good, and we were always good. So it helped us to get better and better, but we came a long way from that uh, that 4-22 season. We came a long way. We got better. Every year we won more games. Every year, and you know you got to give uh, you got to get a credit. What the credit just do, and that goes to Lou Henson.
0: Yeah, senior captain of that Final Four team. You were a first round draft pick of the Bulls. Played a couple seasons for the Bulls, mm-hmm. and then I know you. You know it's interesting. You had an interesting start to coaching. You were a volunteer coach at. St. Thomas Elementary School. That's right. And you went, did you go right to college coaching after that, or were you at New Mexico State before? I
1: I was actually at New Mexico State before. Yeah. Uh, I was there, and then. And And not, but not under Coach Henson. Not under Coach Henson.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, And then I came back to Chicago, and I was a probation officer. Uh, In that, I organized a lot. As a matter of fact, I organized teams that would go in '26 in California and play. I was bringing players in there to play. Wow. Uh, yeah, that was a while.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I say, wow, because I know twenty six in California. I'm I mean, from that's, Chicago, yeah. yeah. You really know
0: twenty six in California.
1: California. Oh, so, yes. Uh, so they would let us bring teams back there. Now, those teams that we brought, and I was still playing at that time, those teams that we would bring back there consisted of sheriff's deputies, probation officers, and just some guys off the street. And we'd go back and we'd play back there, and we were accepted, and uh, uh, in, in, in doing that, you meet a lot of people that help you later on in life But uh, in terms of recruiting. But I went to St. Thomas because my oldest daughter, she sold me on that job. She was at St. Thomas in the seventh grade, and uh, they, they were trying to get a little basketball program going. And the guy that was coaching or trying to get that program going at that time
2: got frustrated and left.
1: And uh, they were looking for somebody to come in, mentor, and work with those seventh graders. Mm-hmm. Myself, a guy named James Tillman. Uh, well, I went over there first, and I said, Well, you know what? This should be fun. This should be fun. So I brought in James Tillman to help me. He was another probation officer. And we got in there, and we had a lot of kids, laptops and computers, and all this stuff was just getting off the ground. And we had a lot of, I call them computer kids. They were smart but they couldn't play ball. But they were smart. Right. And so we got those kids, and we started uh, uh, setting up games around the neighborhood in different junior high schools, and uh, then we started winning. And so it, it encouraged me, because uh, I had recruited before in New Mexico State, but this encouraged me in coaching, because I said, well, you know, I got a bunch of guys that, yeah, they know laptops, they know computers, but they, they don't know a double dribble from a rebound. I mean, but we got them and we molded them, and they started winning, and, and uh, that was that was a lot of fun for me. Uh, when Tony Yates, who was the assistant coach at Illinois at that time, uh, and he was he was considered a, a top recruiter in the country at that time, recruiting a lot of guys from the Chicagoland area. As a Matter of fact, Tony Yates recruited Ephraim Winters and Reggie Woodward down there. Dick Nagy was the other assistant who recruited. Mm-hmm. Bruce Douglas, and uh, uh, some other kids that uh, came into that Illini program. Uh, But when he left to take the job at Cincinnati, Coach Henson had come up, well, before he left, and he had come up to the Chicagoland area to take me to lunch Mm -hmm. just out of the clear blue sky. I didn't even know that he was anticipating a job. He just, you know, was my coach, and he came up here, and he asked me to go to lunch, so I went to lunch with him.
0: Recruiting you a second time. That's that's right. That's
1: exactly what it was, Eric. And uh, we went out to eat, and uh, uh, we stayed kind of late. And he said, "Well, I'm at a hotel out by O'Hara." And I said, "Well, Coach, you know, you spend the night at my house. You don't have to stay at the hotel. Come here." He had the money, but you know, it was still an opportunity for him to get to know me as a full adult a little bit better. And so he spent the night at my house, and we sat and we talked. At that time, I had a dog, a Doberman, Mm -hmm. who I thought was vicious. (laughs) I said, man, this dog. But the dog took to Coach Henson. And so, you know, they'll they'll often tell you that if a person's a good person, babies and dogs can tell. And my dog took to him. You know, I thought he was a good person, but I didn't think Rex would. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and so that worked I just spent the night there. And then about two weeks later, uh, Tony H. took the job at Cincinnati. And he took the job at Cincinnati, and Coach Henson invited me down for a basketball game, and I think they were playing Michigan. And I went down for that basketball game, and after that game, he invited me to his house, and that's when he – sprung it on me that you know would you like to would you like to coach uh down here well once you go into the assembly hall back then and you see a game and the crowd and all the orange and everything yeah I would like to uh but I wasn't so quick to say bring me down and I didn't have to be that quick because he said well I'd like to hire you and my wife uh, you didn't get a chance to meet her, Eric, but you—you you met her. You know that's her. my mom's. You know her, like I like I mentioned before. She's the boss, but I wouldn't. I wouldn't. Uh, you know, if she ain't
2: around, I'm the boss. <laughs> <laughs> well, any of but, us has been married. We we all understand that. So Eric knows it, and I definitely know. You know my wife, Coach. So I, know you know your I know. I
1: know. <laughs> so,
2: so uh
1: when she, when he offered. Uh, I immediately got to the side and I said, coach, I'd, i, I love to coach. Now he had a, 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 a sports writer down there. And I'm sure you guys are familiar with him named Lauren Tate. Oh yeah. And, uh, Lauren was, uh, a real good friend of Tony Yates, real good friend. And so he was measuring my personality against Tony Yates. And, uh, I think he really liked Tony better. Tony was a golfer, mm. and they'd go out golfing and all of that type of nonsensical things, and I was not a golfer. And so he really, he almost bucked the idea that uh, I would become an assistant coach down there under Lou Henson. Now Tony also knew uh, uh, Sonny Cox, who was the head basketball coach at King High School, and uh, I think he uh, thought that because Sonny was getting so many top players and they already had one of his players in Ephraim Winners, I think he thought uh, that uh, Sonny would be a better choice. What he didn't know is that, yes, Sonny had a bunch of players uh, at his school, but Sonny I don't think was well received by, by a lot of the other high school coaches in the area and uh, a guy that uh, was also on on coach Henson's staff was um, Dick Nagy and I'd known Dick Nagy for years or knew of him for years because he's also from Syracuse but when when uh, coach got down to making a choice I think between him and Dick Nagy they decided that I would be a better fit uh, because I had organized games throughout the Chicagoland area I knew a lot of people playing the game throughout the Chicagoland area, and it wasn't just in one part of Chicago. Uh, I knew players and people from all over the area, mm-hmm. and so I think they came to the conclusion that I would have been a better choice uh, for doing what Coach Henson wanted to do, and he really, really wanted to continue to uh, cultivate the Chicagoland area in terms of getting players out of here, and so I was the choice for him.
2: Well, I, you know, I, I have mm-hmm. to... Um, I may be biased in this, and that's okay. I would have to agree. You were definitely the better choice, nothing against Coach Cox. But having spent all of my time with you, I, I know that you were the better choice. We, we were actually sitting with Coach, and Coach told us um, the story about when he took the job at Illinois. And, of course, with at that time, Illinois wasn't well received throughout the state. And so he told us the story about how he would charge his guys to go out and meet all of the coaches in the state. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think his story, and then he also said that Mary made the decision for them to come to, to Champagne. So your story actually really parallels coaches in a lot of ways. One, what you did, taking the, the guys into twenty six California and playing basketball was tremendous. I mean, I think mm-hmm. that's groundbreaking, especially with all of the things that are going on today in society. I think that um, connection with, uh, I, I guess, what some people would call the underbelly of society, being able to make that connection with people and show that, you know, everyone has a good side and they can bring good to every situation. So taking people outside the situation into 26 in California and and mentoring and helping those guys while you're playing is one thing which also gave you an opportunity to meet a bunch of coaches and and players and people around the city I go all that I go through all that to say this I remember when I first told you I was going into coaching and you told me to make sure I get out and I talk to and meet everyone Mm -hmm. and not just the people in Chicago because of course I already knew all of them but and whenever I go out to recruit, that should be the first thing that I do. And that seems to be what you did on a little bit different way by, by putting on all of the tournaments, by mentoring all of the kids that you did that came through your programs throughout the city. And we fast forward to, yes, Tony Yates brought in some good basketball players yes, and some good people. Yes, he
1: did.
2: Coach Nagy mm-hmm. brought in some great basketball, some good basketball players and some great people. No one, even up until today, has done what you have done.
1: Well, uh, and and I appreciate you saying that. And yeah, I believe it too. <laughs>
0: but, <laughs> it's the truth. You know, it's the
1: truth. Uh, but uh, you know, I was blessed in when I was working at the probation department. I was able to go in the back at twenty six in California because a lot of the people that was housed that were, that were housed there. A lot of the people who had went to 26 in California to await trials, uh, I knew. I knew those people, and I knew that they, the, the, the umbrella that was held over their head uh, as them being criminals, and there was no other avenues they would have taken uh, except a criminal act, I knew it was false. I knew that was false. I met those people. I knew those people. I worked at the probation department for seven years, and I was meeting a lot of people that were housed in the lockups at 26 in California, and they couldn't get out of there because they couldn't afford bail. Uh, And so they would sit there, and some of those people sitting back there sat for years, and they couldn't get out because they didn't have the income or the finances to make bail. And so it wasn't hard for me to be received when I went back there to play those games because a lot of the people there knew me. A lot of their parents, they knew me. And so that really worked out well for me in terms of uh, knowing areas, knowing people, knowing coaches, knowing schools in which to go into and help recruit those people. So it was nothing that I was ever fearful of. I was never scared of going back there and playing basketball because I was well-received back there. So that really worked out for me. Now, in terms of getting out after that and what I expressed to you was, in recruiting, you don't just go to a school because they got a top player. You don't go to that school because they got a top player there. You go to the school across town that has uh, Miracle Midgets, little people (laughs) over there that can't really play but you go over there and you meet that coach and you meet some of those student athletes over there because by word of mouth you're, you're you're what you're doing spreads a lot faster than any newspaper article or anything else you can have so i went and and met every coach i could meet uh whether they had a player or not i went out and i sat with them and you know i talked to them i let them know a little bit about me what I was trying to do, what Coach Henson was trying to do at at, uh, the University of Illinois, and it made a lot of sense for a top player to represent his home state as opposed to going somewhere else, not just Illinois. There was Bradley, there was DePaul, Illinois State, Northwestern, there were a lot of different places uh, these kids could go, but their coaches might not have ever met the coach at those universities or the recruiters from that university. So I would go out and I would meet people, whether they had players or not. I'd go to their schools. uh, I'd meet them out. And, yes, uh, there were coaches here uh, that had favorite water holes. Mm -hmm. In other words, they had favorite places where they'd like to meet and have a few cocktails. And once I found out uh, that those were places that the coaches would meet and congregate, uh, I would be there too. So I'd go there, too. So I wasn't there buying people a lot of drinks, but I was there pouring a couple bottles of beer myself. Right. And, uh, and then once you start doing stuff like that, people feel like you're a part of their family. Now, I never suggested that part of it to you because you you, you weren't a drinker. You weren't, you weren't somebody that did something like that now. But I enjoyed my beer and a good football game, so I could go over there and sit with them and drink beer and talk to them, and I became family. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that made it a lot easier with the probation department, uh, with Hobnob and with guys that uh, at that time it was a place called George's, Piece of the Rock, where they'd all congregate. And so when I found out that they were going over there on certain nights to, to drink, you know, there was no rule in the NCAA manual that said I had to pick and choose where i go have a beer so
0: I'd go there and have a beer. And that helped me a lot, too. I like how you mentioned the, the, the pride in staying in state. I, wanna, I was just pulling up the, the 89 team, because obviously that's one of the most well-known teams. In a, looking at the roster, all but one exception came from the state of Illinois. You get on this list, Bardo and Larry Smith uh, out of Southern Illinois, Bardo and Carbondale, Larry mm-hmm. came out of Alton. Now you come into the Chicago area. You've got Kendall Gill out of Matson. You've got Nick Anderson and Irvin Small out of Simeon. You've got Marcus Liberty out of King, Kenny Battle out of Aurora, mm-hmm. and Lowell out of Providence St. Mel here in Chicago that was important for you guys not only for the state but to be in the Chicago area how do why is that not seem so important anymore has the recruiting changed has the game changed has it become more national now for these guys and you were coaching at UIC for 14 seasons after Illinois so you've seen the transition
1: well and I wouldn't say it's not important because it's vitally important for the University of Illinois, which is, in my opinion, the school of the state. Yes. Uh, it's important for them to come in and, 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 and cultivate and get guys from, because the Chicagoland area have, has a lot of great players. All of them don't go to school. Some of them don't care to go to school, but a lot of them can play. And so it, it's it's important to come in here and get and get players. I think now Uh, What has changed? Of course, NCAA rules have changed. When I was recruiting, I could come into Chicago Land and stay a week. I could see Mm -hmm. Deion play as many times as I wanted to see him play. I couldn't talk to him, but I could see him play as many times as I wanted to, as long as I didn't go in and talk to him at the place where he was playing. Uh, The reputation of Chicago, to be quite honest, has basically been the same. Now the numbers have grown. More people of it, because you got instant uh, media. And, and, but people have always been shooting people in the area. There's always been gangs in the area. Uh, there, but all of us eliminated when you go to a basketball game. When you go to a school and recruit, I used to go in, I'd go over where he lived in the village, and I always advertised where I was from. I would always wear a, a jersey or a coat or something that said Illinois, in big block letters across. Uh, So people would understand that I was in there trying to get one of their own to go to a higher learning institute and to do better things. So I was always accepted from that aspect. Uh, I don't know if the recruiters uh, that... uh, they have at Illinois in the last 10 or how many years mm-hmm. uh, are doing that. And they don't necessarily have to do that. One of the things that Dick Nagy told me when I first went to Illinois that resonated and stuck in my mind, he said, this is the way I do it. And he broke out a legal pad like this. and he said, this is what I do when I recruit. And I do this and I do that and I do this and I do that. And then he looked me there in the eye, he said, but you got to do it your way right and that always resonated with me you know uh you can't be anybody else in recruiting you can't be anybody else in coaching you can't be anybody else in life you got to be you and that's one of the things that Dick got taught me i never had a a, a, a problem making friends mm-hmm. or having people around that uh, that uh that liked me or i enjoyed if i didn't enjoy them i wouldn't go around them but uh, the thing that he told me about being myself uh, really helped me in recruiting Now he laid out a format and I followed that format. but under each line of what he said, I would write my own concepts this is that 's good, but this is what i 'm going to do that 's good i 'm not going to do that that 's good so he gave me a good format, but I went out to recruit uh with my strengths, what I consider to be my strengths. And the University of Illinois, for the most part, if you're just looking at a school, it sells itself. I mean, it's the state school, it sells itself. Uh, But the Hawkeyes, their school, they sell themselves. In Bloomington, uh, (laughs) them guys over there, those schools sell themselves. Michigan, uh, they sell themselves but whoever's trying to get them guys to buy into those schools better sell himself. And uh, so I think we were we were successful because I was able to sell Lou Henson, I was able to sell Dick Nagy, I was able to sell, uh, uh, at that time when I first came, we had another coach uh, who's at Wichita now. Uh, he sold himself and uh, and then I sold myself. And so we were able to convince kids that Why would you go to try to make a name for yourself in a state where nobody knows you? Nobody even cares about you. But everybody in Illinois knew who Deion Thomas was. And so I had to sell him that he was beating a dead horse if he was going to go somewhere else and gain the same popularity that he had obtained here in Chicago. And so once I got him to believe that, hey, I'm not going to beat that dead horse because dead horses don't run. So he decided to come to Illinois, and uh, it worked out really well for, for, for me, obviously, but it worked out well for him as well.
2: And, and I, I love when you say it Coach. You, it, when we talked recruiting when I was coaching, that was one of the things that you always told me. And that was one of the things that I would tr- you know transmit to those other kids that I was recruiting. Why would you go? somewhere else to try to create a name when you already have a name here Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. i i took that one i use it i think it worked extremely well for me eric asked a question and i have to agree with Mm -hmm. him on this we we seem to have a loss of loyalty and and is that because you know part of my angst is with the aau program i think it's a great thing because the kids get to play in front of tons of people but i think Mm -hmm. we've forgotten that your state school is where you should be trying to go and I mean, in what you did, if I'm not mistaken, four or maybe five Mr. Basketballs from the state of Illinois were your recruits, including myself. That is, yeah. were your yeah. recruits. Yeah.
1: Well, and, and and it's true that if the NCA would make a rule that says you can only play in your state where you went to high school, Illinois would never lose. No. They will never lose because we have more top basketball players in the state, not just Chicago now, but in the state of Illinois. And I've recruited everywhere. Now, I will admit that uh, uh, down South Florida, uh, Mississippi, uh, places like that, they got a lot of great athletes. But when you talk about just good, solid basketball players, I've gone no place where I've seen so many uh, uh, in, the, in, the, in one city or, or in one tournament better than you're going to see in the state of Illinois. So it made sense for me to tell kids that same thing. You're come from the state where they're producing the best basketball players of all times. Uh, you need to stay here. You've made a name here. You've already done something uh, that's, uh, that's very good because you made a name for yourself in the state of Illinois. Mm -hmm.
0: Who was your toughest sell? You talked about selling yourself and how to set yourself apart, whether they came to Illinois or not. Mm -hmm. Anybody that you remember that was extremely uh, difficult to get to? Well, it wasn't Dion, although he was a
1: tough seller. But it wasn't. And him he liked really. black and gold. He, he liked. Yeah. Told you. <laughs> and and Miss Bernice. <laughs> well, I was gonna say my grandmother loved Miss <laughs> uh, Bernice loved, loved me. <laughs> joke, <you know>? <laughs> <laughs> that's that's a true story too. Uh, but I think Marcus Liberty was really tough. Marcus was tough because Marcus had some idea as to the position he should have played, and uh, we, you know. Coach Henson spent a lot of time, spent some time with Coach Cox, and we thought that that was a done deal. That, you know, we were gonna get Marcus because Coach Cox liked Coach Henson, Mm -hmm. and we thought we was gonna get him. But right there at the end of the recruiting uh, uh, procedure or process, uh, Marcus took a visit to Syracuse. And that scared me because I know Syracuse. It scared me that he was gonna visit him because, you know, in Syracuse, Like, yes, champagne is the only game in town, but Syracuse is the only game in the state of New York in terms of top universities to go to. And so when Marcus went to visit uh, Syracuse University, uh, he came back and I said, I know what I'm going to do. I know he's going to have a good visit. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to take a trip. I know when he's coming through the airport, so I'll be at the airport when he comes through. (laughs) (laughs) And so... When he got off the, the, the plane and came through the lobby, the first thing I noticed was he had on a Syracuse shirt. And I said, hey, big fella, hi. How things going? How was your visit to, to Syracuse? And he just shook his head and he said, coach, I like Syracuse. And I said, yeah, how much do you like Syracuse? And he said, I like Syracuse. I immediately got on the phone and called Coach Henson. I said, you better call Coach Cox because this guy right. really likes Syracuse. So I had to spend a lot of time after that with his brother, the one that passed away. Stretch. Mm-hmm. I spent a lot of time with Stretch, trying to t- convince him. He was already convinced, but had to reconvince it. Then uh, his mother and his father, uh, I knew his father because his father they weren't together, but his father was a West Side guy, mm-hmm. and I knew some of the watering holes that he pre- frequently uh, frequented. So I, I went and I talked to him, and then I got back with Marcus. I said, "Marcus, man, you're gonna go to Syracuse. I'm from Syracuse. That's not the place you should be. I mean, you just and and keep in mind that there were a lot of good players coming coming out of Syracuse at yeah, that time, that was. and Marcus wanted to play guard." And, you know, Martin was about 6'8", 6'9", mm-hmm. but he had guard skills. Uh, he saw himself as the next Magic Johnson, I think. Uh, and he really wanted to go. But when it really came down, I had to convince him that you can't go to Syracuse because, number one, uh, you didn't make the ACT score. And so going to Syracuse means that you all are going to have to pay to go out of state and you gonna have you can't stay up, you can't practice, you can't do this, you can't do. It. I said, you'll be a long way from home with the only people you can rub elbows with are the locals in the city, and I'm telling you right now, they all gang bangers. Right. That didn't really convince him because hell Marcus was out.
2: gonna say Marcus from Nickies. <laughs> yeah, you know.
1: But the fact that he would have had to pay uh out-of-state tuition uh, and get into a new uh uh Unfound. everybody had to meet new friends and all of that, Uh, it finally convinced him that uh, maybe he should stay here because he knew everybody at Illinois. He knew all the players. He knew all the people. Uh, So he was hard to finally convince, but I think the fact that he was going to have to pay out-of-state tuition and meet new friends and stuff like that finally convinced him that he would stay here because you can always go home. You can go home every weekend. You can go home every weekend from Illinois, take your clothes home, let your mom and them wash your clothes and do all the – you can't do that in Syracuse. So I finally convinced him that it would be beneficial to him to stay and play for the state. He's player of the year. Why not? You know, so.
2: It goes back to, like you said, it's why go recreate yourself somewhere when you're already loved and respected here. Here. And and I think it was a great idea for Marcus. I – I remember at that time, of course, I'm younger, a year younger, a couple mm. years younger. But I remember that time when Syracuse came on, and it was all everybody in Chicago was talking about was if Marcus was going to go to Simeon. I mean, go to Syracuse. Sure. Well, should have had him at Simeon too. But that would have yeah. been great for me. Yeah, yeah. Well, for your legacy, anyway. <laughs> would have been great. Yeah. We'd have had some state championships. Maybe I wouldn't have lost to Eric Anderson, uh, my junior you year down state, but. No, I'll go to Syracuse, but it was great that he ended up going to Illinois. That that flying Illini team was one of the biggest reasons that I that flipped my head around and watching those guys as they were coming up and watching them play. Because you know, like I know before that it was Mark Aguirre, saying he was from my neighborhood. You know, everybody liked the Paul, right? But then watching Illinois as it turned it's, it turned around once you got there and what they were doing before flipped a whole bunch of guys around in the city. Now what we did have. We had some some near misses. We were mentioning just guys that couldn't really get the grades. Jamie Brandon. I signed him. I know. I know. Yeah. Jamie would have been on the squad with me. We would have had Thomas Hamilton. I signed him. I mean, so yeah. th- this is why, and these are things that people don't know, Coach, and, no. and this is why I'm putting it out there. You were the greatest recruiter in this state, at that time, at that time, Period. I was. No, no, was, no, no, I no, was, no! Don't, don't good. be modest.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was pretty good, but you know, you know And you mentioned, and you and no, let's not leave out Jawan Howard and Jawan Howard. I would have had you and him in the same class. Yes, I'd have had you all in the same class, and I had him because he was dating he was dating Nicole, uh, my, my niece, at that time. Mm-hmm. You know, so hey, man, you can't you can't kick my niece and me to the curb. <laughs> you know, you got to you got to come on with me. But uh, at that time, we were going through that investigation. Yeah. And uh, that scared a lot of people off.
2: Mm-hmm. Konzo
1: Martin, Konzo, I, I yeah. thought I had Konzo Martin,
2: Mike Finley, um,
1: and Mike Finley. Yeah, I think I, we had a lot of guys that were really kept us going strong for a number of years. But uh, due to that, uh, Gustavo, I mean the NCAA, <laughs> uh, we, we, we lost some. <laughs> Excuse me, I meant I don't know where that came from, but uh, we lost some guys. But I, I channeled
2: that to you. That's what that was. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but we still, uh, we still had some great years. We had some great players, and more important than that, we had some great people. And it was easy for me once we got down there because I knew that they, once they got down to Champagne, if 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 they had questions about uh, anything, they weren't going to go to Coach Henson first. They were going to come to me because I was the one that coerced them into coming down there. Right. And uh, so it worked out really, really well. We lost some guys, but you can't get everybody. And, and, of course, a lot of times I reach back in my memory bank and I think of what it could have been. Mm-hmm. And on the other page I say what it was. Yes. And it was great for me. It was great for the university and it was great for the state.
2: I have one mm-hmm. last one because mm-hmm. I know we're running short on time and I want to keep mm-hmm. – but we almost had, and, of course, Nick uh, started it off. With the 25. Mm-hmm. I continued it with the 25. Mm-hmm. But a lot of people don't, you know, may speculate, that, but you knew and, and recruited extremely well Ben Wilson. Yes. Benji was the reason I went to Simeon mm-hmm. and the reason why we started the legacy of 25. And I'd like to give you just a little bit to talk about that relationship and, and how that went on. Well, Ben, it started. Right down, hey, I had a neighborhood
1: full of guys when I lived in Syracuse. Ben Wilson lived in the neighborhood. Matter of fact, he dated my oldest daughter, Erica, and also uh, Tim Hardaway. Mm-hmm. Tim Hardaway lived, we all lived on a street called Oglesby, right in the South Shore area. And so we used to play little pickup games with him. And Ben was such a gentleman. And I was always leery of guys visiting my daughter who displayed being a great gentleman, because I could always do that. When I visited somebody's home, I could always convince the parents if I was dating their daughter that I was a real gentleman. So I, was, I knew Ben was a good guy, but I was always leery of his, he's such a gentleman. But he was, he was really a gentleman. Now, he's just like all of us who lived in certain neighborhoods, you're affiliated with certain people Mm-hmm. So you're affiliated with certain gangs because your neighbor belongs to a gang you live next door so everybody thinks you're in that game as gang as well. You don't have to be in the gang but you might as well be because you party with a gang member You're gang affiliated uh, you're gang affiliated and yes. Ben Ben was good at at yes, he kept his friends. But when he came to my house to see Erica or when we played ball in the neighborhood or whatever, he always came off to me as top notch. Yes. He came off as top notch. And uh and I believe that to be. Uh, but he wouldn't, as we like to say, on the street, uh, or not we, get me out of that scenario now. But at that time, <laughs> at that time, I wasn't gonna be no punk when I walked around the street. Right. You know, and anybody came to me wrong, then I was gonna try to do what I had to do. And I think that's one of the things that uh, caused him to, uh, to to get killed. But he always treated people well. I, uh, I'm a good friend of one of his his uh, teachers in high school, a guy named uh, Cotton, Charles Cotton. I and know you, you Cotton. know Charles. And uh, yeah, cause he was at Simeon too. Yep. Uh, but he always spoke of being in the highest, in the highest, talked about what a good person he was. And uh, I don't believe he's lying. Uh, I don't believe that my uh, p- uh, perception of him was wrong. I think he was just a good person who happened to be at the wrong place at the wrong time, which was not really the wrong place because he across the street from school. Mm-hmm. So it really wasn't the wrong place, but he did run into some demons. And we know that there are demons walking the street. Now, there are all kinds of demons out here, uh, which I call demons. They're just people that look in life the wrong way, or in my opinion, the wrong way. Uh, And he happened to run into a couple of those guys. And uh, it ended up taking off, taking out one of the best basketball players that the city of Chicago had ever produced because he he and Marcus were almost carbon copies uh, because they were both big people who could handle the ball and pass and shoot, and they were team-oriented. But Ben was, without a doubt, and it's easy for me to say now because I don't know of course, we'll never know. But I thought he might have been one of the better players to ever come out of the
2: city of Chicago. And, and I'd have to agree with you mm. um, on that note. And we go through these Internet conversations all the time. Mm. And anybody that's in my era slightly after me or before me all say the same thing. Of course, these newfangled kids. Talk about Jabari and and Derrick Rose and everybody else. Yeah, but there's a lot of things that they mentioned. Well, they're right to talk about Derrick. Oh, most definitely, and they're right to talk about <laughs> and they're Jabari right to talk as well. About you, but a lot yeah. of the great things that you know mm-hmm. that we talk about with you talk about Ben as a person. Mm-hmm. You, we talk about different people that, as a person, and one of those things that they all have in common is Bob Hamburg. Yes, and yes. I know you guys had a great relationship. I wish I could be sitting with him on this next podcast, but we don't. But I'm going to give you a, time, a chance to talk about your relationship with Coach Chamber, because I remember the one time I was a freshman. When you came to the office, to you were looking at recruiting Nick and Irvin Small. Mm-hmm. And I was taking the tape off my ankles and my braces in the office. And you were talking to Coach, and you said, Yeah, Coach, what about uh, Big Slim over here? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep, yep. And, he, and he turned around and he was like, I'm not going to use the words that he said. But he was like, oh, forget him. He don't work hard enough. Yeah. And, and this is why I mentioned earlier, I said, you have an eye. And thank you for having that eye. Because at that time, I was undisciplined, and, and my knees was hurting and everything else and didn't recognize it. But he knew, and you knew, what I would eventually become. But what Bob Habrick did for creating young men at the high school level was tremendous. And, and just a little bit of your relationship what- with him.
1: What, when he was making that comment about you, well, it wasn't subliminal because he was making the comment.
2: <laughs> oh, no, he was never it subliminal. <laughs> no,
1: he was making the comment, but he was trying to encourage you yes. to work harder. And he had probably told you that a thousand times, but with me sitting there being a representative of a university, Uh, I think it resonated a little bit more with you that, you know, I got to work hard.
2: I'd like to jump in on that. You are 100% right because it really did. Yeah, Um, and I think that's why he did it. Bob Hambrick
1: was a genius in terms of motivating high school players not only to play hard, but to do the things you had to do in school. Yes. You weren't going to come to Simeon and mess up. Bob Hamburg, I saw Bob Hamburg hit Nick Anderson one time with a paddle, and I almost cried for him (laughs) (laughs) because he missed the layup. He missed the layup, and he got to hit him (laughs) with the paddle. I said, oh, coach. (laughs) But he he got the best out of his players, and they were also gentlemen and men once they left Simeon High School. Now, initially, and and I, I have to bring this up because Hamburg was the one that sold me on Urban Small. Mm-hmm. Because Urban Small was a was a guy that uh uh he was thin uh he couldn't shoot uh, he he'd run the court funny but he was always a battler he would always battle uh a lot of people don't know this but I signed Nick Anderson and then I went back and signed Urban Small so I uh and 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 the reason I got after Urban so hard was because of the conversation Bob Hamrick and me had and he told me, he said, this kid here, almost like the conversation he had about you, Dion, was this kid here just, he don't work hard enough, he don't play. It was just the opposite with Irvin. Irvin was a very, very hard worker. He just couldn't play. In, in, in the ninth and tenth grade, he just couldn't play. Mm-hmm. But he kept working towards it, kept working towards it. So after I uh, went in to start to recruit Nick, he said, you got to watch this kid. You got to watch Irvin Small. And so I started watching him, and I noticed some of the things he would accomplish on the court. Uh, some of the things that you will never read in, uh, in the newspaper. Taylor Bell would never write about Irvin Small. He wouldn't write about it. But Irvin was the guy, when the ball hit the floor, Irvin would hit the floor. When it came time to block somebody out for a rebound, Irvin would be the guy that do it. When it came time to play defense on somebody, Irvin would do it. Taylor Bell wasn't writing about those things. He was writing about Nick scoring 25 or somebody else getting so many assists. But if you watch Irvin, you say, they win because Irvin's small. But the loose balls he gets. The 50-50 balls, they weren't 50-50 if Irvin was close. You lost that other percentage because Irvin was going to get it. Uh, So I watched him, I watched him. After I signed Nick, I went back and... Uh, Perry I can't remember Perry's last name but he was at Georgia Tech he called me up and he said what do you think about the kid Irvin Small I'm never gonna tell an opposing coach or a recruiter what I really think I thought you know he's all right he said well we'd like to bring him to Georgia Tech because I want to get some good practice players and I said oh uh, Perry Clark was his name, uh, and I don't care if he hears this either. Uh, he wanted to uh, he, he wanted to get Irvin Small as a practice player, and I said, oh, yeah. I said, well, he certainly would be that. I couldn't wait to tell Irvin. <laughs> I said, man, you're not going to Georgia Tech. They just want you down there as a practice player. Now, that I didn't consider that negative. I considered it positive because I was letting Irvin know, you better stay here with the state school. You know, these people are going to push you in the state. You go down to Georgia Tech, it don't matter how good you think you are, somebody from Atlanta is going to beat you out. I said, so you stay right. And it worked out. So Hamburg was the one that told me, please keep an eye on him. Please keep... And it wasn't that him and Urban was so tight. It was that his knowledge being filtered to me helped me to say, I need to look at some of the other things that... Makes his team win. And Irvin Small was at the top of that list. So I said, if he can help Simeon win, he can help Illinois win. And he did. Uh, you remember uh, we played Louisville and never, I mean, Purvis Ellison, uh, they called him Never and Nervous Irv- Purvis. Well, Irvin made him small, nervous. All right. Irvin Small made him nervous. Now he did a lot of things that probably should have been called fouls, but he got away with them. Well that was
2: basketball
1: then. <laughs> yeah, it's not away like with today. Him, you know? <laughs> so Bob Hambrick was one of the most knowledgeable. He could have coached at any level because he knew how to get people to work hard. He knew how to get people, and and people who didn't like him actually liked him. You know, I mean, because they understood that what he was trying to portray to you was valuable, and was going to be valuable as it is, as it was with you. Uh, So he was a straight-laced guy. He didn't want you coming in, you know, bringing candy and flowers and bearing. He wanted you to tell him what you really thought. This is what I think about this kid. And he would tell you what he really thought, and you'd go from there. And, And with Dion, he told me that he didn't work hard enough, but he had tremendous potential. Now, I watched the potential, and I, you know, with him, I wasn't with him every day. I didn't know how hard or or not how hard Dion was working or not working. I just went on his word, but I did see the potential. I saw that, and uh, in the long run, that's what I was going for because I knew Coach Henson was going to get him to work hard. Uh, once you got away from uh, the village, we get him down there. I knew he was going to work hard, so and he did. And he did, and it ended up being good for him. It ended up being good for me, and it definitely ended up being good for Coach Henson. So it was, it was good that, uh, that I followed the lead of Bob Hambrick, uh, who uh, I still say was one of the best coaches to ever come out of the city of Chicago. Um, I followed his lead, and it ended up being real good. He, he told me about Nick. He told me about Irvin. Uh, initially, he told me about Ben because I feel real secure that we were going to uh, get Ben. And he told me about Dion, and all of those guys, uh, uh, except Ben, of course, uh, with his uh, situation.
2: But all of the guys he told me could play ended up being top players for us at the University of Illinois. Well, I'm going to get ready. But you mentioned one thing, and I have to take my hat off to him, too. Coach definitely recognized because what he did was my freshman year mm-hmm. paired me up with Irvin Small. Oh, yeah. And that's what Coach did. He'd take a senior, pair him up with a freshman. And I think that helped me learn what it was to work. To work hard. And what it was that I needed to do in order to be successful. And, and you know, I tell people all the time, although Bob Hamburg taught me the game, Irvin Small was my first teacher. That's right. and. That's right, because Irvin, you weren't going to come out, and Irvin wasn't going to give you
1: anything. No. I mean, you know, a lot of older guys would say, "I ah, let the young guy do Urban Irvin was going to beat you down. You could have came <laughs> out there. You could have been a midget. He was going <laughs> to beat you down.
2: A small person, I'm sorry. You could have been a small person. <laughs> no, he definitely, he, that was definitely, I remember, and, 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 and that was one of the things that I picked up from him. And It didn't matter who we were playing. It didn't matter how big, how small, how anything it was. It was about the competition and, and, and Irvin was a fierce competitor, so yeah, that that's it was about winning. That's Irvin. It was. It was about winning. And I, I, Irvin, Urban I, I I do
1: a quick little story about Urban. When they got to school down there, uh Urban and and uh you know, Urban set out the first year and Nick set out the first year. But Urban was always crying the blues. You know, you know, these guys over there, they get to practice, they you go to the steakhouse, they do this and the When are you all gonna treat us like that? And I said, Irvin, would you please stop it? No, I thought it was gonna be different down here. I don't wanna be treated like this. I'm gonna help the universe. I said, Irvin, okay, I'll bring you something by there. He said, okay. So I came by the house about a day or so later and I had this big bag, big bag. And I came by the house and then you could see and they come out and they were so happy. I said, I brought this for you guys. And I laid it on the steps, and I walked away. He opened the bag. It was a box of Pampers. (laughs) I'll never forget that. Uh, You cry, babies. You always cry. Yeah, there's something for you, you know. He never forgot it, you know. And uh, we laugh about that now, but it certainly helped him to make an adjustment because he knew, I'm away from home, uh, but there's still something to be happy about there's still some humor, and there's still somebody around here that's going to treat me like I probably need to be treated. You take them pampers, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, he talks about that today, but uh, Hambrick is the one that got him started, and, and him and Hambrick helped Dion Thomas get to going. So um, that whole scenario with Simeon and the number 25, you didn't put on the number 25 unless Hambrick thought you could do something. Very true. Yeah, so, and the other guy, Brian Notree, wore the number. Yes, and yeah. well, and deservedly so. Yes, yes, he was a tremendous high school player. We also got him to come to Illinois too, <laughs> and so. to UIC, and to UIC. To UIC. I didn't, I, you know what i I didn't coerce him to come to UIC. No, I of
2: didn't course not, but coach. But he went there because of the same the relationship. Why I've been calling you and talking to you for. Twenty some odd years now because we love and trust and respect you. So and Nultery understood that. I mean, I can speak for him, even though yeah. he's not sitting here in his chair. I can guarantee you, he'd say the same thing from Nick and from Irvin and all of us. I mean, yes, we played for Coach Henson. We loved Coach Henson. Well, I ended up at the University of Illinois because of you. Yeah. Well, you know, one of one of my one of my jobs and
1: one of the things I put upon my own shoulders was to be a mentor as well as a recruiter and as well as a coach. You got to mentor, you got it because you've gone through a lot of things as a player from that bus ride from New York to Las Cruces, New Mexico. So you understood what helped to mold you and what helped you to be a better player as well as a better man. And uh, this is one of the things I tried to steal uh, in the players that I brought down there. Don't just be a better player, be a better man as well. And all of you all, and I can knock on wood, all of you all have exceeded my expectations in terms of how far you were going to go in terms of being a man. All of you all have done that, and I'm really proud and happy for that accomplishment.
2: Well, Coach, trust me, it's mm-hmm. it's a pleasure. And, and I think I can speak for Eric and tell you how much of a pleasure it is for me and for him to come in and for you to invite us into your home and to be able to come down. And sit with you and and have this conversation Mm -hmm. and for any coaches that are out there listening especially assistant coaches this is how you do it this is how you get it done don't shortcut don't change it follow this playbook that coach just laid out for you uh, Chen that's my boy and yeah. I love him oh, but yeah. Illinois get it together yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, and I think we Chen need Chicago will. back oh I, I think know he will, Chen
1: will. I you, know he will be you, be you Chen I know him as well
0: thanks for sitting uh, in
2: with us to chat uh, with coach
0: Jimmy Collins again coach thanks for having us and big thanks as always to Painless Networking and it's fearless leader Chris Hartwig for sharing the Painless Network podcast airways with us Chris hosts great sports guests each week on his Painless Network podcast. Check those out as well as our previous installments with Coach Lou Henson and new Illini women's coach Nancy Faye. And if you're digging the music we have, it's from Marty Casey's latest album, The Ground You Walk On. Check out our Illini Buddies music on iTunes, Spotify, Amazon Music, and Google Play. For Dion Thomas, I'm Eric Schmidt. Thanks for posting up with us on the fadeaway.
1: Gotta see it to believe it I tried to
2: resist, but I